Hey everyone, technically you're getting two days in history today because we're running two episodes from the History Vault. You'll also hear two hosts, me and Tracy V. Wilson. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's November 21st. The Mayflower Compact was signed on this day in 1620 under the Gregorian calendar. In the old-style Julian calendar, it's marked as November 11th. Parts of the world had already adopted the Gregorian calendar by 1620, but England had not, and that's why you'll sometimes see two different dates used in discussions of the Mayflower and the Plymouth Colony. As its name suggests, the Mayflower Compact was signed by people who had come to North America aboard the Mayflower in 1620. They had a contract with the Virginia Company of London that authorized them to colonize a particular piece of land. But they wound up off course, far north of their original course, on Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and this was territory where the Virginia Company of London didn't have any jurisdiction. This put them in a predicament. They weren't where they were supposed to be. They had no outside authority giving them the right to be there, and it was unclear who was in charge of them. There were some arguments among the passengers about whether their contract was still valid and whose jurisdiction they were under, if any. And this is aside from the fact that there were already indigenous people living there. The people aboard the Mayflower are often described as pilgrims, and there were 41 pilgrims out of the 102 passengers aboard. The pilgrims were trying to get away from the religious authority of the Church of England so that they could worship freely, But the rest of the passengers were from a variety of other walks of life. So with all this together in mind, these people needed some kind of framework for a functioning community. And the result was what's now known as the Mayflower Compact, which was signed by 41 adult men, two of them indentured servants. The original document has been lost, but a number of copies survive in colonists' personal records, including one that was written down by William Bradford, who was a governor of Plymouth Colony later on. The signatories declared themselves to be loyal subjects of their dread sovereign, Lord King James. They combined themselves into what they called a civil body politic, and this compact went on to say, quote, for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid, and by virtue hereof do enact, constitute, and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions, and officers from time to time as shall be thought most meet and convenient for the general good of the colony, unto which we promise all due submission and obedience. This agreement basically gave them a common purpose and a general framework for self-governance. It probably helped them survive their first incredibly difficult winter. By the time spring arrived, a lot of the colonists were still living aboard the Mayflower, and a lot of those who weren't were in dwellings that could barely be considered permanent. Their first governor, John Carver, survived that winter, along with about half of the colonists, but he died the following spring, and that's when William Bradford succeeded him. The Mayflower went back to England that April, carrying with it a request for a new patent that would give the Mayflower colonists the authority, formally, to colonize the area where they had landed. This request was granted in the form of the second Pierce Patent of 1621. 
The Plymouth colony continued until it was absorbed into the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1691, and that was after a long and convoluted series of shifts and wars in both England and North America. Thanks to Eves Jeffcoat for her research work on this podcast and to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on the show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for the death of a pirate. Hi again, everyone. It's Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show where history waits for no one. The day was November 21st, 1953. The Piltdown Man, the supposed fossil remains of a species of extinct hominin, was exposed as a hoax. Charles Dawson was an amateur antiquarian who lived in Lewis, Sussex. He claimed that in 1908, he began to find fossilized remains in a gravel formation at Piltdown Common. Major evidence of early humans in the British Isles had not yet been uncovered, so his discoveries were potentially groundbreaking. They attracted the attention of Arthur Smith Woodward, keeper of the geological department of the British Museum. Woodward and Dawson continued to search the gravel pit and discovered fragments of a cranium, jaw, and teeth. They suggested that all of the fragments belonged to one individual. At a meeting of the Geological Society of London on December 18, 1912, Woodward announced the discovery of the Piltdown remains. He proposed that the Piltdown man represented an unknown species of extinct hominin that was the missing evolutionary link between apes and early humans. He dubbed the Piltdown Man Eoanthropus Dawsony, or Dawn Man, after Dawson. From 1913 to 1915, more fragments were excavated from the site and another one nearby. Dawson died in 1916. Many scientists accepted his view that the fragments all belonged to the same individual, but others believed that the fragments came from more than one source, possibly a modern man and an anthropoid ape. In 1915, Garrett Miller published the results of a study that concluded that the jaw was that of a chimpanzee. This conclusion was supported by other scientists, but debate continued over the origin of the Piltdown remains. People began to doubt the legitimacy of the Piltdown man in the 1920s and 1930s, when other early human remains began to be discovered around the world. Plus, it was determined that the Piltdown gravels were not as old as they were once thought to be. By the 1940s, more advanced dating technologies had been developed. In 1949, paleontologist Kenneth Oakley and colleague C.R. Hoskins tested the Piltdown remains using a kind of chemical analysis called fluorine testing. It was determined that all the fragments were from around the same time period, but were much younger than suggested, possibly somewhere around 50,000 years old rather than 500,000. That meant that the Piltdown Man could not be the missing link between apes and humans. In 1953, after an improved method of fluorine analysis had developed, Oakley, physical anthropology professor Joseph Weiner, and Oxford anthropologist Wilfred LaGrosse Clark determined that the jaw and teeth were not the same age as the skull. They reported their discovery in the Bulletin of the Natural History Museum on November 20, 1953. The next day, the hoax was announced in the press. 
The remains included fragments of a 600-year-old human cranium, the jaw and teeth of an orangutan, and the tooth of what was likely a chimpanzee. The fragments had been stained with chromium and an iron sulfate solution, and the teeth had been artificially abraded to simulate wear. On top of that, the remains were not even from Britain. The Piltdown Man was a hoax. A number of people have been pegged as the perpetrator of the hoax, including Dawson and a museum volunteer turned keeper of zoology at the museum named Martin A.C. Hinton. In 2016, researchers published an article that concluded new evidence suggested Dawson was responsible for the hoax, though he may not have acted alone. They said his, quote, hunger for acclaim may have driven him to risk his reputation and misdirect the course of anthropology for decades. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you know you already spend too much time on social media, spend some of that time with us at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also shoot us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for going on this trip through history with us. We'll see you again tomorrow with another episode.